If you're joining us by live stream or Facebook Live, we're glad that you are with us as well. We turn your attention this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and we begin reading in verse 35. Matthew, chapter 27, and verse 35. Amen. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. This no doubt was a process, this excruciating execution performed by the Roman military. Crucifixion of an individual. These Roman centurions and soldiers had seen many an execution. They had never seen one like this before. And sitting down, they watched him there. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Our subject this morning is simply this gift of the bystander the gift of the bystander would you bow your heads and pray Lord we are thankful to be in your house today and thankful for your presence that we feel every time we come together in your name in your house with your people what a privilege it is Lord we ask you that you would anoint us to preach your word and to receive your word and we ask you, God, that our hearts would be good ground, that this word, this seed can fall on and change us from the inside out. We recognize that you alone have the words of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Brother Nathaniel Andrew Urshan was just a small boy under the age of 10, his father pastoring in Twin Cities of Minnesota, St. Paul, Minneapolis, was building a church and raising his young family. And one Saturday morning, there was a knock at the door of their little home, and young Nathaniel answered the door. And standing there at the door was a good friend of the family, a man by the name of G.T. Haywood. He was a respected minister and songwriter, and he was a good friend with the Urshan family, and he was preaching nearby, and he had, he had stopped by to see his friends. He asked young Nathaniel, is your dad home? And the young boy affirmed that he was, and he ran upstairs to get him, and shortly... Brother Andrew Urshan came down to greet his close friend, G.T. Haywood, with a warm embrace. And before they could even be seated, G.T. Haywood, so excited, said, Andrew, I 
believe God gave me a song, and I've not sung it yet, publicly or not even really in church yet, but I, I feel like it's from the Lord, and I, I wanted to sing it for you and just get your opinion. Little young Nathaniel, he stayed around to hear this, this new song that their friend had, had written, and he was just another set of ears there in the living room. When G.T. Haywood pulled out some papers and started to sing on Calvary's hill of sorrow, where sin's demands were paid, and rays of hope for tomorrow crossed our path were laid. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. Today no condemnation abides to turn away my soul from his salvation. He's in my heart to stay. When gloom and sadness whisper, you've sinned, no use to pray. I look away to Jesus. He tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood. I get goosebumps just reading it. As he began to sing this song in the living room of their home, the anointing of the Lord filled that little living room and Pastor Andrew Urshan and his good friend, Brother G.T. Haywood, men of God, hugged and cried and sang together and under the anointing of the Holy Ghost began to speak in tongues. Young Nathaniel, he was only about eight or nine years old and he stood there and watched all of this, just a bystander. But he never forgot it. That song would go on to reach millions of people. With the love of Jesus through Calvary. And young Nathaniel would go on to pastor one of the largest churches in the United Pentecostal Church, Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. And after that, become the general superintendent of United Pentecostal Church for 25 years as the church grew to millions of people worldwide. He was just a boy, and he was just a bystander. But he said he never forgot what he saw, what he heard, became a gift. Acts chapter 7 is a powerful chapter in the Bible. Stephen is a young, powerful preacher. He is full of faith and anointing. He's fearless. He doesn't pull any punches in his preaching. He's not politically correct and he's not even religiously correct. He tells the Jews that their temple is just a building and that God is much bigger than a building. They had never heard of such a thing. Everything was geared around that temple. He tells them that their fathers killed the prophets that foretold of Christ to come. And then... He said, they're co-conspirators, and without pulling any punches, he says, and you are murderers. Then the straw that breaks the camel's back, when he declares to them that they 
have not kept the law. They go berserk. They can't handle it anymore. They pick up stones to stone him. And as the the stones are bashing up against the skull of this young preacher, Stephen, he begins to call out to God. Standing nearby is a young lawyer by the name of Saul. Later his name would become Paul. He is brilliant. He's been raised in the best schools and he's had the best professors. He's ambitious and focused and he's a Roman citizen. He's worked all the legal channels and he has permission from the local authorities to allow this mob to take the life of Stephen if they so choose. The Romans are tired of all the uprisings and this Palestine area, and they, they just want all the insurrection to stop as quickly as possible. And they can facilitate, but they'd rather the Jews handle their own internal problems. As the men are throwing stones, they're working up quite a sweat, and they take off their coats, and they sort of hand them over there to the young lawyer, and he gathers the coats together. He's just a bystander, never really picking up a stone himself, but but just facilitating the execution as a witness. But perhaps he never anticipated witnessing what he did. Because instead of recanting, instead of begging for mercy, this young preacher, Stephen, he says with rocks crashing into his body, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. When he says that, the mob, they can't handle it. The book of Acts says that they plug their ears and with the screams and cries of wild men, they intensify their attack. Stephen is knocked down to his knees and with his life slipping away, he musters all of the remaining strength that he can gather and he declares with a loud voice, Lord! Lay not this sin to their charge. And then he's motionless. His body does not move. He is silent. Soon the crowd calms down. Their thirst for blood and revenge being quenched. They gather their coats back from Saul and they move on. The young lawyer lingers at the scene. This does not feel like a victory. It feels empty. Something's not right. But he quickly gathers himself. He's almost ashamed that that he's even had this thought. Perhaps it was just a weak moment, he says to himself. So he decides to do what he's always done. He will throw himself into his work. He doesn't celebrate with the others. He He just tells his team... We've got to step up the attacks. We, we've got to intensify. We've got to now go into their homes. Let's not wait till they come out into the marketplace and begin to preach. Let's gather these Christians from their homes. And so they go into homes and pulling people out of their homes and gathering and separating families and hauling them off to prison. Many of them never to see each other again. A holocaust as it were. Word gets out then about the revival in Samaria and Paul, maybe even fighting with himself, tells his team that we've got to step up the attacks. And so 
They don't realize at the time they're fighting a battle that they cannot win. But they hear of revival that's, you know, out here in Samaria. And so the more they hear of revival, the more vicious they become. And Paul asked the high priest in Jerusalem if he can get letters of authority to take to the synagogue in Damascus. He's heard about Damascus. They're having revival up in Damascus. The Bible says that's where they were first called Christians were in Damascus. He says, can we get letters from you, high priest, that we can take to the synagogue in Damascus that if they find any of these Christians that we would have authority to bind them, treat them as prisoners, and haul them back to Jerusalem. They give him those letters, and so he gathers his group together, and they are on the road to Damascus. Maybe it's on the road to Damascus when Paul now begins to think again and Reflect about what he saw while he stood there holding those coats as they stoned Stephen. What he saw whenever they hauled these Christians out of their home. What he saw being there. Not actually getting his hands dirty, but seeing their reaction, their response. Stephen was not some rogue criminal. He was different. I can almost see Paul running these thoughts through in his head. He doesn't dare say it out loud. Something was different about that guy. There was a glow in him. And in the middle of this meditation, a bright, blinding light from heaven, like a nuclear blast, knocks him off his horse and blinds him. And he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's interesting to me that Jesus takes it personal when someone is trying to harm his children. He doesn't say you're persecuting my people. He doesn't say you're persecuting the church. He doesn't say you're misguided, you're on the wrong side. He says, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It would make sense because the Bible said when you've done it unto the least of them, you've done it unto him. It pays to be good to people, especially God's people. Because you're doing it unto him. thankful to know that I serve a God that looks at his children as his own flesh and blood. He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. You're coming against me. <laughs> and then Paul is such a fighter, which we see even after his conversion. But the fact that he is so quick to submit he simply resigns to the fact on the spot that he's on the wrong side. And you can say, well, yeah, he's blinded and he's hearing a voice from heaven. It wouldn't take long for me to convert under those circumstances either. But I think there was a seed planted somewhere for there to be this unbelievably quick and immediate submission. Trembling, he stands there in darkness on that dusty path and says, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
And the rest of his life, he takes the gospel to Europe and, and Asia and writes most of the New Testament that we hold in our hand. He was just a bystander. But he was given a gift. The gift of being present. The gift of having a front row seat to glory. And that gift changed Christianity. The Bible says, ladies and gentlemen, that we sit in heavenly places. I say to you today, you're not just sitting on a pew. You haven't just assembled yourself in a building at 1021 Emerson Drive, Palm Bay, Florida, 32907. You have seen and heard the glory of God. Every time we come together in the house of God and we witness the glory of God, once again, we've been given a gift that we can't get over, that we can't just sweep under the carpet, that we can't erase out of our minds and out of our spirits. recognized it that's why he said I gotta wash my hands of it I've gotten too close to the fire there's something about a man or a woman that comes in contact with the power and the presence of God it matters not what your background is it matters not whether you were raised in church if this is the first time you've ever darkened the doors of an apostolic Pentecostal church you can't deny that you're a bystander to the glory of God we witness him we witness the miraculous. We witness the supernatural. We see life changed and it becomes a gift inside of our spirits. I was just a teenager. I, I didn't know how to pray with people in the altar. I was, I was just a kid. I don't know if I even at that time was desiring to be in ministry. I was just a bystander. I remember in the old church at the east end of Palm Bay Road, I remember Dick Sias being filled with the Holy Ghost. I remember him shaken under the presence of God. I remember seeing that Marine who we had prayed for for weeks and weeks, we as in the church. Not me, I was just the pastor's kid. I was the bystander. People wondered if he would ever get the Holy Ghost. But when he got it, there was no denying it. And I saw it as just a kid. I was a bystander. I saw Matt Mason turn his life around. I was just a bystander. But I saw what the Holy Ghost did and does in his life as here he sits some 40 years later. I was just a bystander. I was just a kid, but I was given a gift. I remember sitting on the side of Interstate 75 after my car had flipped two and a half times in the air and me without a seatbelt. 
my life had been spared. And I never went to the hospital. My car was totaled flat and landed upside down on the median of 75. I remember sitting there on the side of the road and hearing those sirens coming. I remember sitting there and the Lord speaking to me and saying, I saved your life so that you would preach the gospel. So the years later when I was arguing before the Florida Supreme Court in a moot court competition in Orlando and I was excited about the first part of our competition and I went out around the building where nobody could see me and with my adrenaline still pumping I popped my fist in the air and said I was made for this and God said no you weren't I called you to preach the gift of a bystander I've seen too much do you think I'm going to give up on God now because I've had a bad week or because somebody's offended me not on my life I was given a gift I've seen Delane get out of the wheelchair. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen cancer disappear. You see too much to give up now. Paul knew the power of being a witness. He said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, You know what I speak the words of truth, King Agrippa. You know the things that I'm telling you. None of these things were hidden from you. They were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you may not be ready to accept the Lord right now. You may not be ready to be a believer, but you can't deny that you've seen what I'm talking to you about today. You may not be ready to give your heart to God today, my friend, but you can't deny what I'm preaching to you today. You've seen the glory of God. You've been an eyewitness to His miraculous power. And you'll be held accountable because of what you have seen and heard. John said in 1 John 1 and 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you we were eyewitnesses we were given a gift but we give this gift to others because when you have received the gift of the bystander, there's a mandate upon you to share it with others. After Jesus resurrected, he only gave the gift of his presence to believers. He was seen of Mary and then Peter and John and the twelve and seen of, of course, the two men on the road to Emmaus, then of 50 believers and then about 500. And every account that you can read after Jesus resurrected, there was the gift of his presence. Thomas I know you're struggling, but feel 
the nail prints in my hands. Peter, I know you're struggling. You think you've denied me, and I'm not going to ever love you again, but I'm still coming after you. I've seen too much. <laughs> he gave them the gift of participating in the greatest miracle known to humanity because they were there. They were there. They were just bystanders to this resurrection. They didn't do anything to bring about the resurrection. They didn't have anything to do with a glorified body of Christ. But they were there. And they were given a gift. The close followers of Jesus followed him to Mount Olivet. And they knew something was getting ready to change. They didn't know what it was doubt about. No doubt they were nervous. They didn't know questions. Maybe just came from nerves. But eventually, at some point, everybody's standing around. What's going to happen? Somebody finally breaks the silence and says, maybe even a little sheepishly, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Is this what's coming next? Are you going to finally restore us nationally? Drive the Romans out? Reestablish the nation of Israel? Certainly had a lot of history and precedent for that. That's what happened in the Old Testament. Maybe the question wasn't based on history. Maybe it was based on hope. Or maybe it was based on vindication for, Lord, we believed in you. It'd be really nice now for us to be able to say, see, we were right. Are you going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. I can see whoever asked that question pulling back into the crowd. Not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. This thing is bigger than just the nation of Israel. That's what he's telling them. You're going to tell other people what you've seen and what you've heard. You were a bystander to the glory of God. God manifest in the flesh. You were there! You saw it! You heard it! You're going to be witnesses! Your role is to tell! What you've seen, what you've heard, pass on the gift. Gift of the bystander. It's your gift and it's your gift to give to others. Peter and John got the message because a few weeks later they're arrested in the temple because a lame man was healed. And when they pull him before the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the Supreme Court of their day, he says, the chief priests, judge he looks down at Peter and John and says you're not ever to preach or teach again about this Jesus Christ do you hear me they respond by saying you're going to have to decide whether it's right in the sight of God that we honor his words more than yours But here's what we know, and it's non-negotiable. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You're going to have to figure out what's right and what's wrong. But here's what we know. We were given a gift, and we saw too much. 
We've heard too much. We've sat at the feet of Jesus. It is mandated upon us to be witnesses. I say to this great congregation today, ladies and gentlemen, we have seen too much. We have sat in heavenly places. We have beheld the glory of God. We have witnessed lives being changed over and over again. We have a mandate. We must share the gift. The Roman centurion was just a bystander. But he was close enough to the fire that he was given a gift. He had to admit this was not just a typical Roman execution. This is different. Maybe he even told his colleagues. We don't know, but there were several that were sitting there watching. The Roman centurion is the one who declares it, but the Roman centurion is never just by himself. He's a leader of a hundred Roman soldiers. Maybe he's even the one who first planted the seed in Cornelius' heart. I don't know. The Bible doesn't name who this centurion is, but we see just a few short years later that there is a Roman centurion living in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius and His house is filled with the Holy Ghost, his family, an angel directing the apostle Peter to go down and preach in his home. We're told that a centurion donates the money for a synagogue to be built in the city of Capernaum. There seemed to be a revival, even among Roman centurions. Why? Because even... In the weakest moment of Christ. With a Roman centurion, the elite of the elite. A leader in the most powerful military of the day. Got close enough to the fire. You thought you could just come to a Pentecostal church maybe for an Easter Messiah drama. That's what happened to Nady St. Cloud. Where's she at? He thought you could just come on Friends Day, but you made the mistake of getting too close to the fire. You were just going to sit in the back. You were just going to be a visitor. You were just going to be a bystander. But something got a hold of you. And God gave you an undeniable experience. You were just going to be a police officer on duty. But you came one time too many. And something got a hold of you. And you said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And even in his most weakened physical state, it changes the hearts of the most hardened soldiers of the day. John Wolfram, a Navy SEAL, the elite of the elite, of all the frogmen they called him that in that day, he was picked to be the first one 
to be in the water. The first human on earth to greet Neil Armstrong and his gang as their spacecraft splashes down. The waves have even capsized the, the spacecraft, but John goes in as he was trained to do and goes underneath and secures a sea anchor and stabilizes it. He's obviously decorated. There's a ticker tape parade for all of these guys in Chicago. He goes on as a Navy SEAL and does two tours in Vietnam. He's respected by all of his peers. He's the best of the best. Long before there was a SEAL Team 6, there was John and his buddies. But he said, David, there was something broken inside. There was something missing. We turned to drugs to try to get over the pictures and the images and all that happened in Vietnam. I just couldn't take it anymore. Somebody was just handing out tracts to a revival service. Just sharing the gift with someone else. Most people down there in Southern California just threw it away or some may even spit or curse, but That fear of saying of God just kept passing out tracks. And John walked by and he took it and crumbled it up and put it in his pocket. Didn't throw it away, but didn't read it either. Got to his apartment down there in San Diego and he emptied his pockets and threw it in the trash bin and didn't think of anything about it until a couple of days later. He's sitting in his house. In a fog of drugs, despair, heartache. He remembers that somebody invited him to church. He goes looking for that flyer. Digs through his trash and it's not there. Can't figure out where it is. He turns his little apartment upside down, but where's the flyer? And then he remembers he took the trash down a couple days ago. It's in the dumpster. It's probably already gone. He goes down the street and he goes into the dumpster and he climbs all through the dumpster that's in the alley behind his apartment. I just want to find the flyer. The Navy SEAL. The first human on earth to greet the guys coming back from the moon. He's in a dumpster. Looking for a flyer. can't find it they tell him where does the trash go and it leaves here they bring him to another central location he goes all through that finally at the bottom of this big bin of accumulated trash he finds this wadded up yellow flyer and he opens it up revival starts tonight in 30 minutes and without even changing clothes Smelling like he lives in a landfill. He goes to a little church. Only about 30 or 40 people. Pastors against everything but fresh air. John said, I couldn't deny that God was in that little place. It was nothing that would have 
a lot. John said, it was everything that I needed. And when the altar call was given, I went to the altar and I lifted my hands and I began to call out to him and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. He said, what I'd spent my life searching for. You can read it in his book, The Rescue of a Frogman. He said, everything that I've been looking for, I found that night. The next night, he went and got nine of his SEAL buddies, and they all went to that little revival service. And the next night, seven more Navy SEALs received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Four of them went into ministry. Three of them are still apostolic Pentecostal preachers in the United Pentecostal Church. Why? Because I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you've got the hard heart of a Navy SEAL. If you get in his presence... If you get close enough to the glory of God, you cannot deny it. You stand to your feet this morning. Jesus. Jesus. don't have to take my word for it you know him for yourself what will you do with this gift that's been given to you today while you're contemplating that rhetorical question let me tell you I have more good news there are more gifts where that came Not only have you received the gift of the bystander, but you can go home today with the gift of salvation. You see, the gift of the Holy Ghost turns the gift of a bystander into the gift of salvation. It's the only thing that can revive you. Why the Lord said, you're going to be witnesses, but let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be filled with power. So that you're not going to just be a bystander. You're going to become a container of glory. I'm going to infuse humanity with my spirit. Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise. From that day forward... You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, most of those people gave their lives in horrible, tragic fashion because of their faith. Beheaded. Peter, they crucified upside down. Drunk through the streets. Boiled in oil goes on and on and on why did they do it 
Because it was more than just what they had seen and heard. It was more than just the gift of a bystander. They had received the power of the Holy Ghost. So infused them that they brought their sick into the streets just hoping that the apostle's shadow would come over the sick can just get close ladies and gentlemen do you realize you live 21st century the very last of the church age very soon the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air but at this very unique period of time in human history you have the opportunity to be more than just a bystander you have the opportunity to step out of where you're standing and come to the front of this building and stand at this altar lift your hands toward heaven and the God of glory will fill you with his spirit and forgive your sins and heal your body drink from the wells of a revived spirit come on right now all across this building this is your altar this is your church you belong down here God is calling you right now. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, God. You've given me too much, Lord. You've shown me too much, God. You've been too good to me, Lord. Here I come, Jesus. That's it, that's it, that's it. Lift up your hands and lift up your voice.